Hello and welcome back to Hunting Web Ellis, episode number two. My name is Tom Savage, you're listening to TRK Premium. Hope you're having a good week. Uh, this podcast is going to be looking at the other teams that aren't Ireland, but while also keeping Ireland in the frame as well. So we'll just get straight into it. Uh, there was a lot of games on at the weekend. There are two coming up this coming weekend. Um, and I think that there was lots of interesting stuff happened in all of the games that we saw. Uh, last weekend uh, we'll start first with uh, Scotland versus France um, a great win for Scotland final score there was 25-21 honestly I think that the biggest part of that game wasn't necessarily Scotland getting the win which was obviously really really good but Scotland have beaten France before they've actually beaten I think stronger French selections than than this Um but the manner of how they came back to win, I think, would be the biggest thing that'll stand to them. Um, Scotland, I think, Ireland are playing them in a few weeks um, in a very, very big uh, World Cup game. I think at the moment, they're at that stage that Scotland typically get to where they're playing really well. They've obviously got a lot of talent in in, in their squad as well, and their confidence will be getting high. Um, Now, typically... That is ended with that confidence getting punctured by Ireland at some point. That's been the story of Scotland in the last, I would say, 10 years or more, where they've been building and they've certainly had a squad that's had a bit of energy about it um, in the Six Nations. And this is before World Cups and, and, you know, even excluding the last World Cup in 2019, Scotland have been performing very, very well. And at times they've been playing super rugby. They've beaten... England regularly they've beaten France regularly the only team that they haven't beaten regularly has been Ireland and I think that the fact that we've been drawn against each other in the last two World Cup pools kind of has that and you'll see this where there are teams that end up in each other's gravity wells uh, in in this sport for a time like Munster versus Cast um, Ireland versus Argentina in the 2000s seems to be Ireland and Scotland at the moment and it is very one-sided towards Ireland at the moment. Now, I think looking at at Scotland, I I think that Ireland would still be quite confident of beating Scotland. But I I think that the resiliency that they showed in this game was actually um, pretty impressive. Uh, France started really well. They scored some fantastic tries. Scotland, I think that the biggest part about them is that they're really fit, it seems, and they don't stop playing. And, like, they're building a lot of really good cohesion in their team as well. Like, you look at, you know, uh, Hugh Jones, uh, Tua Pilato in midfield. I think Stuart Hogg retiring is actually nearly better for them. I know that's kind of a shitty thing to say, but, like, he's obviously... He was a great player for Scotland over the years, but I think that with Stuart Hogg out of the picture, uh, I think that their back three can now... There's a better fit to be had there because uh, I think the Stuart Hogg we saw over the last maybe four or five years wasn't the best version of that player. Um, but if you look at um, Darcy Graham, Duhan van der Merva, you look at Blair Kinghorn, they've got really good athletes there. And Darcy Graham in particular is just a remarkable player. He's so agile, so quick, so elusive. He's one of those kind of outside wingers that you can put at fullback if you want. Um, he just beats defenders and scores tries and that's a massive part of this game which sounds really fucking stupid but it is true like Darcy Graham is a really really impressive player who just always seems to cause things to happen positively for his team and uh, I, I think that Scotland um, 
you know there was that red card so to, to see out that game with a red card is is fairly impressive Xander Fagerson his, his uh, disciplinary uh, hearing came in today uh, he has been banned for uh, three games but that'll essentially only be two games which means he won't miss uh, Scotland versus South Africa first up which is a more of a dangerous game for South Africa than I think anybody would have given this fixture credit for when they were initially drawn I think that Scotland in particular have a game that can really really hurt South Africa at the moment and um, I'll be getting onto South Africa as well in a minute but I think looking at Scotland they've trimmed down their team at this point which means that Ben Healy will be going to the World Cup with Scotland which I think is, is great for him I had a few people kind of going look is, it a little, is that a little bit unfair on Adam Hastings he didn't get a shot I honestly think it's probably fairer to, to Adam Hastings that if uh, ben Healy has kind of hit the markers that the coach has been looking for and he liked him anyway I think it's better to cut Adam Hastings before you give him a, some, a nothing chance in a game where honestly you don't even want him to play well um, I think that it's probably fairer to the player to get rid of him now and to stick with who you have honestly think that there's a, a lot of value in doing that Like, and like you look at England are almost the fucking opposite at the moment where they seem to be uh, cutting guys they're naming a new squad every three days uh, and there's going to be fellas who, are, who were cut this past week who could be playing at the weekend again against Wales um, Steve Borthwick is certainly doing it his own way at England at the moment anyway but I, I think looking at Scotland uh, they are a very very dangerous outfit um, but there are no more dangerous teams in the world at the moment I think than France like you look at that Scotland team very strong very cohesive we're playing against a French team who have none of that cohesiveness really and that French team were so close to winning this they were honestly like they were in position to win it a really good breakdown steal by Rory Darge at the end you know save Scotland but like France could have won that game and when you consider the amount of changes that they made and they were still really really effective in scoring just you know fantastic tries they are a really dangerous team coming up into this World Cup because that is not France premium. <laughs> that is like the France um, kind of free tier, we'll say. A bit like off the ball. Um, so you look at those guys and you think they are players who can step up into that premium French team and they lose nothing. Like you look at some of the guys that that you know we associate with kind of premium France, like Dupont, Roman Antimac, uh, Jonathan Dante. Uh, who knows like the French team and you look at the guys who could step in from this French team honestly just incredibly impressive that they have that quality available to them and it just goes so deep I think their depth is better than any team in the world at the moment where you can bring somebody in and they, they hardly lose anything like you might say that some of the quality in their front row dips a little bit and their front five dips a little bit but that's about all you could say about it like really really strong performance by France they were unlucky not to win but for, for Scotland momentum and confidence and they're playing France again this weekend the teams haven't been named for that as of, as of yet but that is a, 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 a game I think if Scotland can come out of that with you know maybe losing but not by too much even if they got a win it would be fantastic but to put up a strong display there against this French team in Paris um, that is going to be very very impressive if they can do that and that'll give them so much confidence because look we're down to the last few warm ups now uh, Scotland will be playing uh, next in week 4 
of the uh, summer series. They're going to be playing against Georgia in Murrayfield, so that's a you know that that's a game you'd expect them to sort of maybe put out some of their fringe players, or maybe get some guys who need a few minutes. Because uh, the next game they'll play after that will be against South Africa, so I wouldn't expect them to be playing a whole ton of rugby at that stage. But you look at um, the the games they have coming up. This is probably their best opportunity to give it a right crack and then pull back for the next week or two. You know, heal up anybody you know who's got a few bumps and bruises or whatever else, and uh, take as much confidence as you can from this game. This is a big game for them. So I think we might see Ben Healy on the bench for this. Uh, we might see them starting Blair Kinghorn at fullback. We might see them with Darcy Graham on the wing. Duhan van der Merv, obviously, as well. Like, I really like this Scottish back row and outside back line. Finn Russell, as well, I think, is a fantastic player. But I think you look at their back row, halfbacks, and outside back line, I think they stack up with anybody. And I think that the biggest issue for Scotland traditionally has been the quality of their front five. They've got some good players there. I'm not sure if they have elite talent in the front five. You know, they've got some good players who I think were in that conversation to perhaps be elite down the line a couple of years ago, but they just didn't really pan out that way. Like Johnny Gray, I think, is a good player, but I don't think he's an an elite player by any means. Uh, I think that that's what's holding Scotland back because I think if you look at their, their back row, Halfback, outside back line. I think they stack up with absolutely anybody, especially when they're on their day. Um, and they'll be a dangerous team. And I think that first game up against South Africa is going to be a really spicy one because I just see so many potential um, landmines there for, for South Africa at the moment. It's just, uh, it's it's difficult to comprehend just how slippy a game that could be for them and how it could completely upend the fabric of this pool as where... I have my idea now as to how it all plays out where South Africa beats Scotland, you know, we play, um, you know, Romania, Tonga, and then we run up to the South Africa game. Then we beat we beat South Africa, then we beat Scotland, and then it's Ireland and South Africa one and two in the pool. But if Scotland can win that first game, that means that Ireland's game against South Africa is colossal because if we were to lose that, that makes it a three-way sh- shootout for the you know the last two for the two spots in the pool and then we're playing Scotland next who'll have massive amounts of confidence and the other their other biggest game is going to be South Africa so if they can win that first up which you'd imagine look is not outside the realm of possibility they'll have three games I think it is two two or three games to run up a ton of momentum to take on Ireland and we'll be two weeks after what's going to be a bruising game regardless Scotland can see their way to making that happen like 100% like I think there's no way that, that Scotland are looking at it and going look this is undoable like their place you know playing the Springboks first up the Springboks are not not in the best place at the moment there's no reason why they can't take that game and you know bring a shock on everybody and upend that pool so it's going to be really interesting to see how they go over the next couple of weeks just because of the the, the context of, of how their season maps out their next game this coming weekend against France is massive like that like that like that will give us a good idea as to where they are and depending on the result and how they perform could make people down in the the Springbok camp I'd say very squirrely heading into this uh, World Cup season uh, the other game of the weekend that I saw bits and pieces of was uh, Wales versus England not the most exciting game going but a very Warren Gatland 
Wales performance, albeit with some nice attacking rugby as well, which is always a feature of Wales under Warren Gatlin previously. I think the whole thing about Warren Ball kind of overdone a small bit. He knows how to win rugby games. He knows how to set up his team pragmatically. But, like, you look at, at England at the moment, like, Wales, we'll, we'll know more about them this weekend because they're playing again this weekend in, in Twickenham. We'll know more about Wales there um, where they've got some obviously good young talent in there. Jack Morgan, great young player. Like, and guys like Dewey Lake and fellas like that are look fantastic players. Like, they've got a whole new 15 or 23 for this game at the weekend. Um, the, Wales at this point, nobody expects them to do anything. But if you look at their side of the draw in the World Cup like they can take their time building up to this tournament like it is not outside the realm of possibility that they could easily make a quarter final you know they haven't been great but like I think with when we look at Warren Gatlin and Wales and we look at what they've gone through fitness wise they're like they look really good but like I suppose they're missing some of the world class talent that they had previously but it looks like there's players there who could be in that bracket fairly soon. I think that's the biggest thing for this Welsh team is is that they probably needed to get rid of some of those old stagers who were obviously great players for them and, and big leaders for them over the years. But sometimes they can be comfort blankets as well. And I think that, you know, it, it's, it was a very Warren Gatlin move for a lot of those guys to end up leaving the group before the World Cup. So look, there's there's very little expectation on on, on Wales, but this was, this was a very good win. The biggest thing for me though, watching it, my big takeaway was England, how poor they looked. Um, it's unclear to me at the moment what England are kind of doing. Like, obviously they have some good talent. Uh, they have a decent back five. I, I think that their pack, their, the best days are behind the majority of those guys there. The game seems to have left behind a couple of them. Marlo Atoje, for example, was one of the very best players in the world four years ago, maybe five years ago. At the moment, I don't think he's in that conversation. I think the offensive side of the ball is very important for back five forwards now, and that has been traditionally one of the weak spots in Marlo Atoje's game for me, where defensively, at the line-out, um, you know, tackling, breakdown one of the best in the world but the offensive side of the ball was always the issue for him like his ball carrying was never massively dominant and like when you're putting him into any back five you need to have offensive players around him to, to compensate because he doesn't offer a whole ton from an attacking perspective um, not overtly he's a good breakdown guy obviously and, and there's obviously a, a value in that as well but when you combine a lot of the other players that they've had there where you haven't had like Billy Vunapola, for example, was the dominant ball carrier, an absolutely outstanding player in 2018, 2019, one of the best players in the world. Since then, he's had a lot of injury issues. He's, you know, fallen out of, I won't say form, but like his, his fitness levels, I think, fluctuated. That affected his ability to perform. But he's back in the group now. Now, they've made their selection for the World Cup, it seems. Um, but again, it's hard to say because, look, for teams like Ireland and France and England and Wales and Scotland, it's going to be very easy to fly out replacements. So to a certain extent, when you're on standby here, you are really on standby where you could just jet out and be there in, you know, an hour, you know. But I look at um, I look at Billy Vunapola, I look at some of their the guys that they're trying to build around. It makes sense. But I think at the moment they're lacking an identity as a team. And, you know, because I don't I can't really tell you what they do. Like they, they seem like they're playing a sort of a version of kick pressure, 
but they don't have an elite line out their scrum is not elite either you know and again that costs you at this level especially when you're playing that game I don't know I think that they'll be troublesome in the World Cup now they're playing Wales again here now at home this is a must win game for England in Twickenham uh, they have to be, just to get a bit of momentum back into their into, in, into the group you know because if, if they were to lose again here now all of a sudden then vibes are in the fucking toilet coaches under pressure it can become a house of pain very quickly uh, and I think Steve Bortwick is a new coach he's a guy who I think he's a good coach but at the moment it seems he's trying to bring what he had at Leicester to England and he's brought a lot of the same team like he's brought Alan Walters he's brought a couple of you know of his unit coaches as well he's brought up to 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 England and he's trying to implement the framework that he had there at England to a certain extent he's adding different bits and pieces but the base template is Leicester and that Leicester team under him won a Gallagher Premiership but I'm not sure if that was the the Gallagher Premiership they won I'm not sure if that was the highest level of rugby available at that point where we're wondering and I suppose I'm wondering does that template work in 2023 like it worked at the Gallagher Premiership at that point I think the Gallagher Premiership from a quality perspective has been lower than the URC in the top 14 over the last couple of years so acknowledging that will that framework if we transplant it not exactly like for like but the bit you know the basic principles up to test level does that mean that England are on the wrong track I think he has better players than anybody had at Leicester like the the quality that they have in their pack I think is better uh, the outside back line in theory looks good like they, they've moved away from Henry Slade for example um, and they, they've made that change they want to go with power in the midfield like the biggest thing about playing that sort of you know Borthwick's Leicester that won the Gallagher Premiership you need to have power there's no point in for, like as in if he cuts you know Henry Slade that's a big move for him to make but that system does not require a playmaking midfielder like you need hitters and that's what he selected so at the very least he's dialing in to what he wants in the group the way he wants them to play and again it's about having the guys to play the way that you want so your system requires heavy hitters in midfield because you need guys who are quickly able to move up and down the field who can truck the ball up hard who can hit hard in defence as well because that's the the biggest aspect of this that you have to add that sort of that impact off the ball when you're playing this sort of kick pressure that, that, that that Leicester did and I think that England are looking to bring now you need to have that impact and the midfielders that he selected will bring that now he's got you know Freddie Stewart I think he's a great player Elliot Daly there I think as well as in the group I think he offers a little bit of a difference point for them but I think they're, like their wings at the moment have never looked less dangerous uh, and their pack I don't think frightens anybody at the moment that's the biggest issue if you're going to have kick pressure you've got to have a fucking kick ass pack he does not at the moment and uh, I think Owen Farrell great player great player but I think the issues that they have are Farrell is totally capable of running a kick pressure style game he's got the the size for it he's got the boot for it he's got the IQ for it he's a good goal kicker as well for the most part but you've got George Ford there also so they can mix and match in midfield if they wish Owen Farrell will be present in their big games regardless I think looking at how they approach their big games I'm not sure if that approach will work 
in 2023. Um, so that's going to be the big question mark for me if they have the ability to step up and maybe show something different than what we've seen, certainly from them in the Six Nations and from this game against Wales, where look, Wales won, England didn't really look very threatening. There was a lot of errors, handling mistakes, you know, stuff like that. All that stuff adds up. And, and I think they are in a spot at the moment where they are, I won't say vulnerable, but like you don't want your second warm-up game to be one that you've got to win. You know what I mean? I think that their last year or so has been fairly dismal from a results perspective. Uh, and as a result, they put themselves into uh, a spot with losing that last one where they've got to win this time. And that's the that's the big worry. That is the big worry. So we will see how they progress in the uh, next games there at the weekend. And, and, we, and we'll go from there, keep an eye on them. But I think looking at Eng- England at the moment, they aren't scaring anybody when it comes to this uh, World Cup season and uh, that's got to change but if you look at the uh, other games that were there played at the weekend where South Africa went to uh, Argentina to play uh, Argentina and the final score in that one was the Springboks 24 uh, Argentina 13 and it was a bit of a weird one like uh, Manny Libok missed 4 out of 6 penalties before he landed 3 um, which put again I think that's the kind of performance that we've seen from Manny Libok up until now this Argentine or this South Africa team um, where we look at you know Willem Set fullback Kanan Moody and uh, Makazola Mapimpi who both made the World Cup squad Lucano Am and Andre Esterhazen in midfield uh, Libok and Reinach at halfback Jasper Visa Franco Mostert and Dion Mostert and Dion Fury Marvin Ori Jean Klein Thomas Tutoy uh, Bongi Monambi and Trevor Nyakane good South African team um, it, it didn't go all their own way in the first half they had, they had a couple of scores ruled out actually they managed to be a lot more dominant in the second half and as a result I think that you can see that when they can click and get their physicality into the game they're a very tough team to stop um, I, I think that the issue with the, the spring box at the moment and we've seen this with some of their injuries that are there I'm not sold fully on Libok as of yet. Like his goal kicking is one thing. His goal kicking, he can go on hot and cold streaks. I think we, we, we've, we've even seen that um, with him playing Munster in the last you know couple of, of months where there was two games that we played in South Africa where he missed fairly crucial penalties that would have added um, a lot more difficulty to the score from a Munster perspective. Um, he is going to be the guy for South Africa as they head into this World Cup. I, you know, I'm not fully sold on that guy. Um I think with the South Africa's pack, they'll always have a chance. Whatever version of that pack they put out, like they've got a good, some good role duplication there now. You know, where you've got Franco Mostert, you know, Peter Steff to Toy. Uh, you've got uh, their their second row rotation is outstanding. You know, Marvin Ori, Jean Klein, who made the World Cup squad as well. But, you know, by the way, quick note on that. Delighted for the guy. You look at the snide shit that's been written and said about him all over the internet since he has redeclared for South Africa a lot of guys saying he was a capture cap absolutely not look he's a quality player and I think that a lot of the the conversations that have been around John Klain I think from an Irish perspective anyway go back to 2019 when he was selected ahead of Devin Toner lots of people in the media took against Klain in the aftermath of that 
And then when you look at how badly Ireland did in that World Cup, I won't say all the blame and all the heat fell on Sean Clayne in the aftermath of that because that, that would be ridiculous. He, he played two games, you know. But I think the the scorn that was there on Sean Clayne because of him being selected, which again, is nothing to do with him. Like he was selected by the coach over Devin Toner. I think that scorn was cauterized by Ireland's poor performance. And then when he hasn't been selected since, I think a lot of people got it into their head that Jean Klain was rubbish. Like, and again, we're talking about a lot of people mainly in the Leinster bubble here. A lot of the, the media are in that as well. Got this idea that Jean Klain was just a, you know, a bit of a donkey of a player, which just, again, was never true. But I think in the last three years, he's been really, really impressive for Munster. And there's no surprise this season that the minute he got put alongside proper size and power in a pack and back five, all of a sudden he's playing like the guy who we always knew he could be. And when it became clear that Ireland were not going to call him up, as I think we've even seen now, like if you weren't in that Irish Six Nations squad, it is incredibly unlikely that you're going to get called up to the Rugby World Cup squad. Once that happened, I think he knew, look... I'm not going to be in the conversation for Ireland here. So when the Springboks came calling to him and say, look, you're going to be eligible again by the time the next World Cup comes around. Do you want to redeclare? He took the opportunity. And a lot of people saw that and gone, well, he's just, you know, being used. I've seen ridiculous stuff about, you know, he's there to give, like, South Africa, Ireland's calls, you know, like, line-out calls. Like, he hasn't been in the Ireland squad. So he would about know about as much about the calls as anybody with a pair of eyes who can look at a line out with any detail does. I think people couldn't understand that he's being brought into the Springbok squad with even Estebeth and all these other guys. But that would mean that he's not the donkey that we thought he was. This is where we're at with people, you know. So to see those people proved wrong is great for me. But for Jean Clay, I'm delighted to see him get that honour to go and you know, re- you know, represent the Springboks at a World Cup. And I think he must be one of the first guys ever to play in consecutive World Cups for two different teams. I think that must, you know, and certainly in the pro era, uh, you know, uh, but then again, I think I'm saying pro era. The World Cup, I think there was only one that was before the pro era. We'll see. I, I, that's one of those things where I don't exactly know, but I'm not going to go back and edit this. <laughs> so, yeah, but either way, I think he's one of the first to do it. There's, there's not a whole lot of people in that club, I would say. Um, but yeah, overall, I just thought that um, Argentina were a bit up and down. They've, like, they've got some good players. Like, you look at Chaco Barres, I think is really good. Emiliano Buffelli is obviously quality as well. These guys pushed the Springboks very close the week before um, and, and you know, put them under a whole ton of pressure. But I, I think that the Argentina will be troublesome in this year's tournament. But I, I think that, you know, the, the big thing for me, obviously, because Ireland are playing South Africa, is to keep a closer eye on them like I said they've named their team there's no Lacanio Am there's no Andre Pollard there's no Lou de Jager honestly I think with Lou he's, he's, he hasn't been great when I've seen him in the last while now he's out sick so we don't know how long he's been sick or feeling unwell but I uh, hope obviously wish him the, the best in his recovery but I, I just look at the the pack that they have now it's intimidating like they're a big physical pack but I'm not sure if their structures at the moment um, I, I'm not sure if they're robust enough to cause Ireland the trouble that I would have expected maybe a year ago I'm not sure if Manny Libok is the guy for a high pressure game I'm not sure if he's the guy right now now 
if he comes into that Ireland game and the hot streak that we've seen him on in some games, he'll play incredibly well. Remember, this guy landed a massive kick in the URC semi-final of two seasons ago with the clock in the red to pull out Ulster. Um, but again, like the bits and pieces I've seen of him, when he's been playing Munster, I've just seen a fellow who you can get at. And maybe that's not the case at, at test level. Maybe the better pack around him will do the world a good. But um, I still think the Springboks need something a bit different because the flashes I've seen of them where they can get Willemsa involved and Kane and Moody looks like a great talent as well. I, I obviously really liked Andre Esterhazen also. I thought he played very, very well. I think he's a great player overall, actually. I think that with Manny Libok at 10, I think they will need to start Esterhazen and make it work somehow with Damien Dilende and Andre Esterhazen. Because Lucano is out, you know, Am, Am is, is injured. I think with that first game coming up, they've got a few warm-up games coming up. Um, they are playing in two weeks, on the 19th of August, they are playing Wales, in, in Wales. I think that we might well see them experiment with Libok and Esther Hazen at 12, with Dialende at 13. I think that offers a lot of what they want on the defensive side of the ball, but offering a little bit more of Esther Hazen as a playmaker outside of um, Libok with Willie LaRue involved as well. I just think that's something that could work for them from a framework perspective. Um, because again, like there was a bit of consternation about Andre Pollard and Lucano Am missing and even Lou Diager. We're, we're not talking about those three guys from 2019 though. Like, the Lucano Am we've seen from 2023, I'm not sure is keeping anybody up at night worrying about him. Obviously a great player, but he's not come back fully. I, I, I don't think he's fully firing after his knee injury. I think he came back and he's still hurt. Obviously he's still hurt because he's not selected because he's injured. Um, he has not looked the same player. Andre Pollard in 2019 was outstanding. Top class player and powered South Africa to a World Cup. But since then he's had... Uh, an ACL injury he hasn't come back looking the same guy he didn't look that way from Montpellier for Leicester he's been in and out of the team I don't think he's looked you know overtly good in the in the, like the games I've seen him where he's been okay but again looks like the game has passed him by a small bit and you look at Lou Diager like I said he's looked he's you know some of his basics are still good but he hasn't looked the same sort of player as he did in 2019 for me anyway so if they're being replaced by Jesse Creel and uh, Andre Esterhazen in Locanio Am's place, they're automatically, I would say, better than Locanio Am now. Because the Locanio Am we've seen now has shown flashes, but nothing like the player that we know. So, in a way, it's like for South Africa, it shows that they're not too bound by sentiment, where they could easily say, oh, we'll bring Locanio, we will bring Andre Pollard, we know what they can do. Yeah, they're hurt, but they're, they can recover in the group. They just said, look, we're going to bring... Now, they brought four scrum halves. Now, unless there's going to be some, you know, movement with regards to some of those guys pulling out or whatever else, like, some of those guys give them cover on the wings also. Like, you've got... Um, Kobus Reinach can cover the wing as well. Um, so that could be something that they're looking at as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm looking at that Springbok team overall. Pack look imposing. Like, they made a choice to go with two hookers, with Dion Fury being somebody who can obviously cover as a hooker as well. They want to, to bring more of the back five, and I think that's fair enough. 
I think looking at their main strengths, that's where it lies. And that's the big fear factor, I would say, is their pack. I think that their pack will have to be incrementally better than what we've seen from them in the last number of years to make up for an incomplete rotation of players at halfback. And I think a backline that has outstanding talent, but they've yet to fully fire. They've got a couple of weeks to pull it together. Um, and that game against Wales is going to be very, very interesting from that point of view. That's coming up um, the weekend after next. So not this weekend, next weekend. Um, so that was the Springboks. So a decent game overall. Um, but I think that the, the scoreboard, I think, flattered the, the Pumas a small bit. Um, but the other game that I thought felt was very, very interesting was uh, the Wallabies against the All Blacks in Dunedin. Uh, the Wallabies were up 17-3 at halftime, but they just could not see it out. The All Blacks were dominant in the second half and uh, ended up winning, but just winning narrowly, winning narrowly. I think you look at the Wallabies, they're basically like a plane that's already taken off and they're making repairs as the plane is still in flight. Eddie Jones has not had time to build in any sort of complex framework into this team. He hasn't had camps. He hasn't had a whole ton of games to run them up to, to get where they need to be for the World Cup. So they're using the Rugby Championship and these upcoming friendlies. Like this was a Lettuce Low Cup, so it wasn't a friendly, but they've got a few games coming up. Uh, they are playing in the Summer Series. In two weeks, they are playing nobody. Their next game is in week four. Um, they are playing Australia or France on the 27th of August. Um, so they have not got a whole ton of time to pull together what they need to, which is to get their framework running. The balance they had in their team this time around with um, they had Fraser McWright in the back five as a small forward. All of a sudden, their counter-transition game in that first half looked unbelievable really effective they've got the power like they have the power they need but it's getting the stitching the game that they need together properly that's where they need to go and he's made bold calls as Eddie Jones with Tate McDermott and, and Gordon he's made those big those big decisions but whether or not it's going to work for the, for the Wallabies I think they have a little bit more time than what it might seem on the outside um, they're on the side of the, of, of the, the World Cup where if they can get any sort of run together, like they've had a, a difficult number, you know, a couple of fixtures. But I think looking at the building blocks that they've got there and the power they have available, when the World Cup comes along, they'll be a dangerous side, I think. And obviously they're they're vulnerable enough to injury, but I look at what I've seen in this game against the the, the All Blacks. That first half was impressive. Now the the, the All Blacks did rotate, they were missing the Barretts. And a couple of others. They also were able to pull it together in, in the second half quite uh, substantially. But again, I think that when we look at their squad, like the naming of it, um, there was, again, no real surprises for the for the All Blacks. It's an incredibly experienced team that they have going into this World Cup. Um, and we look at, at their schedule coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, they are playing... Um, they're playing South Africa, I think, in Twickenham. That's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but you look at that game and you look at their their build, they're really talented. And I think that their their issue is if the game gets super physical, do they have the size to compete? Um, 
they've shown a lot in this series so far in, in the rugby championship they've shown that they do have quality and you, they've shown a, a like a, a development of their aggression um in the you know the forward exchanges at the breakdown they've looked really aggressive really like violent entries to the breakdown like playing with real real venom there their set pieces also look very good their line out their mall has looked very impressive it did here in the second half in particular but I'm looking at it I'm going if they get into a slugfest with France early on have they been playing up until now a bit of a dummy war where they're playing against the Springboks and like the Springboks are obviously experimenting they're in a bit of a state of flux at the moment as well but they're in between two styles I feel and you look at the the all like you know, the, the Allabies, the All Blacks <laughs> beating the Wallabies. They beat uh, Argentina again. They beat them in in New Zealand, and the Wallabies obviously are in the middle of like I said, a massive like mid-flight rebuild. At the, uh, the Argentina are up and down. I'm looking at the Wall- the All Blacks and I'm going, are they back? I'm not sure. Like again, that first game coming up against um, France in the opener of the World Cup itself probably the biggest opening game of the World Cup that we've ever seen that's a titanic fight that is you look at those two teams there you look at the 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 venom the intensity that's going to be there like France understand that if they lose that game first up and look they're one like almost like you look at the difficulty of that game I'm talking about a fight here like France at home first game of the World Cup with the crowd behind them like the, the opening night like absolutely as tough as, as, as it comes and I'm, I'm thinking when I see France as good as they have been and as physical as we know they can play do the All Blacks have a, do, do, do they have an answer for that like they've looked and they've like they, they, they have put a lot of scores on a South African side that do not look themselves like I said the Wallabies who were in flux they've certainly looked impressive while they were doing it but are we seeing them at their best against the best I don't think so not at the moment I think their main test is going to be that opening game against France and I think France at the moment are the ultimate bullshit detector in rugby France premium we saw what the our very very rotated French team with some a whole bunch of newbies in there what they did to a full strength Scotland side almost beat them with zero cohesion coming in out of nowhere I'm looking at that opening weekend and I'm looking at what I've seen of the All Blacks so far and I think look they're certainly impressive in some facets if they get opportunities against France they'll they'll take them but I'm looking at France I'm looking at how strong they've been and I'm l- looking at how effective the we know France can play if I match up those, those two levels of what we've seen from the last year where do the All Blacks stack up on that and I'm not sure that we're seeing the best rugby in the world in the rugby championship anymore, anymore from a level perspective. There's been some nice rugby, some lovely scores. But I don't think we're looking at, certainly when you're looking at the, the rugby championship from this year, I'm not sure we're looking at the premier uh, rugby tournament in the world anymore. I think that's the Six Nations. And I think that Ireland and France are the favourites for this upcoming World Cup. Um, so we'll have to look at the, the, at the next week. We've got some big games coming up. Um, where we get to see a little bit more of uh, of the teams we'll be playing in the World Cup and um, and beyond. So I'm going to be back with this podcast again next week. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to send in for Hunting Web Ellis, uh, episode number three coming up next week, absolutely do so. Info at 3 and uh, have Hunting Web Ellis 
in the subject line. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a tier case subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.